Welcome to We Mentor Mondays with Nancy podcast. Get inspired. Break through to new dimensions with your entrepreneurial peers on the path to self-leadership mastery and life success. Redefine how you lead as you redesign your business. I call this dual innovation leadership. Take charge of who you next become. Feel more deeply to think, act, lead, and mentor more clearly and effectively. Discover something new from our meaningful conversation today. Hi, I'm Nancy. Thanks for tuning in to episode 377, How to End Injustice Everywhere with Dr. Melanie Joy, part two. Here we go. At Beyond Carnism, Melanie Joy believes that people need and deserve to know the truth about carnism so they can make their food choices freely, because without awareness, there is no free choice. And we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Melanie Joy about eradicating injustice everywhere and moving beyond oppression. She has a new book out, How to End Injustice Everywhere, Understanding the Common Denominator Driving All Injustices to Create a Better World for Humans, Animals, and the Planet. It's her seventh book that captures what she has learned traveling to 35 countries. And if you are doing the vitally important work of ending injustice, check out harnism.org and also get her book, her many books. It'll transform your life like it has transformed mine. As a refresher, Dr. Melanie Joy is an award-winning psychologist specializing in the psychology of oppression and social transformation in relationships. She is a longtime advocate for justice and was a lecturer at the University of Massachusetts, Boston for 11 years, teaching courses on privilege and oppression, feminist psychology, psychological trauma, and animal rights. She has written, like I said, seven books, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. And she's the eighth recipient of the award previously given to the Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela for her work on global nonviolence. She's also the founding president of the international NGO Beyond Carnism. Beyond Carnism is a U.S.-based international organization, and you can find out more as you go to the website. They're dedicated to exposing and transforming carnism, the invisible belief system that conditions people to eat certain animals. Beyond Carnism was established in 2012 after Melanie published Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. This book has introduced us to this new term, and I'm starting to use it a little bit more. I was noticing when I learn a new term that I sit with it for a long time before I'm able actually to say carnism in a mm-hmm. conversation. And because I'm like, do I want to talk about this? Um, mm-hmm. You know, so welcome to We Mentor Mondays, Melanie. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for such a, a another warm introduction. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs> Great. So a roadmap uh, to relational communication is kind of where we're starting our conversation with having a healthy process. When we communicate, we talk about content and then we talk about process. And a really significant defining point between the two, if you want, are wondering is this a relational system or is this a non-relational system? The main core thing you can use to decipher that is whether or not it's about the process. So can you explain this a little bit more for us? 
Yeah, sure. And and I think we can even take this out of the realm of systems to keep it really straightforward for for listeners, um, you know, who are just want to f- think about like a healthy versus a problematic, you know, com- communication. So, oh, good point. Yeah. All communication has these two parts, right? Every communication has these two parts. It's a uh, the content, which is what we're communicating about, and the process, which is how we're communicating. People tend to overfocus on the content. I just want to get the words right. I just want to get the core message in there, right? And underfocus on the process. But the process matters more. So, for example, think about if you think about a conversation you had maybe like six months ago out at a dinner or something, you know, or a year ago, or whatever, you might have forgotten the entire content. You don't even remember what you talked about, but you probably still remember how you felt in that conversation. Yes. Right. The process, the process determines how you feel. When we have a healthy process, our goal is not to be right, which means to make the other person wrong. Our goal is not to win, which means to make the other person lose. Our goal is mutual understanding. That is a healthy process. Our goal is mutual. It has, it's it's a part of a healthy process. The goal is mutual understanding. The only reason we communicate in the first place is because we're not mind readers. And so we use communication in order that the other person we're communicating with understands what we think, what we feel, and what we need, perhaps, and so that we can understand what they think, feel, and need. And so if your goal is mutual understanding, you will come at the conversation and communication in a way that's much less adversarial and much more receptive and open to what the other person has to say. Now, a healthy process also reflects what we talked about in our last conversation, which is what I call the formula for healthy relating. In a healthy process, we practice integrity. That means we treat the other person the way we would want to be treated if we were in their position. And we honor their dignity. We see them as fundamentally worthy of being treated with respect and occupying space on this planet. We practice integrity and we honor their dignity. So we ask ourselves, you know, in a conversation, am I interacting with this person the way I would want to be interacted with? Am I listening enough? Am I present enough? And so on and so forth. And you can ask if the other person is doing it to you as well, or practicing the formula toward you as well. The end result of practicing the formula is we feel more secure and connected with each other. So healthy process is foundational. You know, once you mutual and understanding and practicing a healthy process are, you know, really foundational for having connected conversations where you come away, you know, hopefully with greater understanding for each other, not less. And one way you can improve uh, the process is by talking in terms of whole messages. Tell us how you coined that phrase and what the four parts are if we want to use whole messages in our communications. Sure. Um, I did not coin the phrase and I did not coin the concept of whole messages. Um, so whole okay, messages, good. I yeah, believe the know. phrase was was coined by Matthew McKay and his um, co-authors in the book um, Messages. It's a fantastic yeah, book. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. And, and the, the concept, this approach is based on is it Marshall Rosenberg's work on um, nonviolent communication? It is basically the four parts of a message. And a message is basically a communication when you're the person doing the expressing, the communicating, the talking, not the listening. The four parts of a whole message are observations, thoughts, feelings, and needs. Basically, when you use a whole message to communicate, you communicate what you want to say through communicating each of these 
parts. You share your observations. Your observations is what you have observed, what you have read, what you have heard, what you have seen, what you notice right now. So for example, if you're in a room, you would share your observation would be, it's 50 degrees in here. If we're talking Fahrenheit. It's 50 degrees in this room, not it's cold. It's cold. Observations are objective. They're typically facts that can be corroborated. Um, they're not subjective like thoughts. So if you're in a room and you want to communicate the temperature, you would say it's 50 degrees. Often if you're in a room and you say to somebody, oh, it's cold in here, and the person will turn around and say, no, it's not, it's hot. You know, anything that's easily debatable is probably not an observation. Then you can communicate your thoughts. Your thoughts are your interpretations of your observations. So it's 50 degrees in here. Hmm, it's cold. To me, I see that as being cold. Then you can communicate your feelings. I feel cold. And if you want, you can communicate your needs. I'd really appreciate turning the temperature up. When we use this, and I really recommend this book, Messages, and in, in my book, Getting Relationships Right, I have a whole chapter on effective communication and talk about whole messages in there as well. Um, it really can diffuse tension in communication. A lot of the problems we get into is that we express our thoughts, our interpretations as though they're objective observations when they're not. And people experience us as, as controlling or manipulating when we do this, even if we don't intend to be controlling or manipulative. So for example, you might say to somebody, I really don't appreciate you ignoring me. And the person will probably say to you, I'm not ignoring you. You know, or if you could even say to them, why could you stop ignoring me? I'm not ignoring you. I mean, how many times have you heard that? It becomes a debate. Ignoring is not an observation. Ignoring is a thought. It's your interpretation of the observation, right? Ignoring is intentionally not communicating with somebody. And you don't know what somebody's intentions are because you're not in their head. What your observation can be is, huh, you haven't said anything to me since we've been home from work. I'm wondering if that means that you're not happy about something or you're mad at me. So you're communicating your observation. You haven't said anything to me. And then you're sharing your interpretation of that. Huh? My interpretation is that maybe you're upset. You're taking ownership for your own interpretations. You're not dictating what's true for somebody else. And this one change, you know, differentiating observations from thoughts and owning your thoughts, huge, huge can diffuse and head off, prevent a lot of, a lot of argument. Yeah, because then that also helps you get to the feelings and what you need. That's um, right. You know, how you set the conversation up. So I, I love that. We can reinforce relational communication or more, or more broadly, uh, relational literacy by developing self-awareness and practicing mindfulness. Um, I really love how you talk about um, the benefits of being more self-aware. Yeah, self-awareness is, I mean, really, first of all, for, for listeners who aren't familiar with relational literacy, we I think we we talked about it in the last episode, is the phrase I use for the understanding of and ability to practice healthy ways of relating. And I will say that that learning relation building relational literacy is really can be life-changing, really life-changing. Um, it certainly has been for me. Um, and many, many people I me know. Too. It's just like the difference between being able to read and write and being literate in that way and not being, it's just everything in life gets easier. Um 
So, um, and self-awareness is an important part. Building self-awareness is is an important part of relational literacy. Our primary relationships with ourselves. I said this in our last episode too. Our primary relationship is with ourselves. We are always relating to ourselves through our self-talk and through the choices that we make that impact our future selves, for example. And so, you know, we building self-awareness, self-awareness is the understanding of ourselves, understanding of the ability to look inside and see, you know, as clearly as possible anyway, what our thoughts are, what our feelings are, what our needs are. Again, you know, communication is the primary way we relate to others. It is a primary way we relate. And it is impossible to communicate effectively. You remember I said communication, we communicate because we're not mind readers. And the goal of communication is simply to communicate our thoughts, feelings, and needs. That's that's it. That's why we communicate. You know, that's what we're communicating and that's why we communicate. So um, how can we possibly communicate our thoughts, feelings, and needs if we don't know what they are in the first place? If you don't know that you're angry, when you're self-aware, you're better able to identify what you're feeling. If you don't know, for example, that you're angry at your partner because you haven't developed self-awareness, you know, you haven't been able to look inside, identify that feeling of anger inside of you, and then identify the thoughts that go along with that. Okay, I'm angry. Why am I angry with my partner? Oh, because um, I realized because um, they didn't check in with me to ask if I was okay with them going out tonight, and I was planning to see them tonight, whatever, you know, if you're not aware of that, the anger doesn't just go away. It'll come out. It'll just come out probably in a in an unconscious way. So you might start being passive aggressive. You might start saying like, okay, you don't want to spend time with me. I don't want to spend time with you. And then pulling away, withdrawing, engaging in all sorts of strategies that to communicate your anger when you haven't done it directly, because perhaps you haven't been aware that you were angry in the first place. When you're self-aware and you can identify your anger and you can identify the thoughts that go along with that, so you recognize the cause of your anger and your thoughts, you can directly communicate and say, hey, you know, I thought we were going to be together tonight and, you know, you made plans without actually checking in with me. I feel pretty, pretty crappy about that. Can we talk about that? You know, it's very different than acting out passive aggressively. This is just, you know, one one example, but it is the most important example. The more self-aware we are, the more in tune we are also with our our core values. Um, Did you want to jump in and say something about that? Yeah. Without accurate information, which is what we need from another person, we make stuff up. And that's, that's where so we true. jump to the the assumptions. And uh, yeah, so you were going to say another benefit to self-awareness. Right. That's true. But that's a really good point you make, because if we're not providing accurate information about what's happening inside of ourselves, because we don't know, yeah. then the other person is going to project onto us what they think is going on with us. And they're probably not going to be accurate because it's really, we don't read other people's minds. When we're more self-aware, we're also more likely to recognize when we're not acting in alignment with our values, you know, when we're we when we need to course correct, when we're not practicing our integrity, we're less likely to identify that feeling we have of, you know, co- what psychologists call cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the internal discomfort we feel when our values and our practices are misaligned. When we're saying something to somebody that's not fully honest, you know, and we're when we're more self-aware, we'll tune into not fully honest and not a good way. We're not just kind of like smoothing the edges because we don't want to deliver critical feedback in a way that's heart hurtful. But, you know, maybe we're withholding information that we 
don't really have a right to withhold or whatever. We're being dishonest in some way that's not healthy, which is usually the case. You know, when we're more self-aware, we're more likely to notice again inside of ourselves that feeling of like, you know, discomfort, like, oh, oh, I'm doing something that's really not in alignment with who I want to be, with what my values are. I mean, honesty is a core value of mine. Fairness is a core value of mine. I'm not being fair to this person. Exactly. Which brings us into mindfulness. It's a term that we commonly hear to remind us to be in the present moment. How do you describe mindfulness? I actually like the way Sam Harris describes mindfulness. I don't know if you're familiar with Sam Harris's work, but he has a a book called Waking Up and an app called Waking Up, which I highly, highly recommend, particularly the app has really been life-saving for me. I would say life-changing for me. And, um, and it's an app that, that teaches mindfulness essentially and and more. And, you know, Sam Harris talks about mindfulness as the practice of becoming aware of what you notice. Um, It's becoming aware of what you notice, becoming aware of what you're experiencing, you know, physically, mentally, and emotionally. You're aware of what's happening rather than being lost in thought. So it's not like you're pushing thoughts away. He he would say it's more that you're aware of the thoughts that are emerging. And that means that you're not identified with them. You're not hijacked by your thoughts. So to summarize again, or Sam Harris would say mindfulness is a practice of becoming aware of what you notice, becoming aware of what you're experiencing. And most of us are not. Most of us are just completely lost in this endless stream of self-talk that's happening in our heads. Yeah, I recommend the app. I just started uh, listening to the free sample. And so I'm like, Sam, hey, is familiar? Oh, yeah, I read mm. it about it in your your book. And uh-huh. uh, I just downloaded it. And, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm getting more mm-hmm. familiar with his name. Okay, very good. Can we invite others to be allies instead of adversaries? And this all relates to relational literacy and practicing, but how can we set that up better? Yeah, I would like to say we, we can do, you know, everything quote unquote right in terms of our communication. And by the way, I don't want, I, I, when I talk about this, I always advise against ever, you know, kind of taking any of this on perfectionistically. We are all like, we've all been born into this relationally dysfunctional mess of a world. We have all learned to adopt, you know, quite problematic coping strategies. We're all messed up in various ways and nobody practices relational literacy perfectly or even close to perfectly. So I really just want to put that out there. Everything that I'm talking about, there's a lot of wiggle room in this. This is more of like a roadmap, you know, a way to kind of like how to go in the right direction toward being more relational rather than practicing perfect relationality all the time, which which nobody can do. So um, having said that, you know, the more we can communicate in a way that helps other people feel safe with us and recognize that we are safe people to be in relationship with, in communication with, the more likely we are to create a sense of security and connection in those interactions and openness in that other person, the more likely we are to create an environment in which our message, whatever that may be, is heard as we intend it to be. And so, you know, an an ally is somebody who supports another, even though, um, you know, another in another's cause or another person's experience, even though they are not automatically a part of that experience or a part of that cause. So if you want to invite somebody to be an ally in your life in some way, you're inviting somebody to stand by your side 
when it comes to an issue in your life or about you, you know, that is not something that they have already taken on as their own. And essentially what you'd be asking them is to, you know, to look at the world through your eyes. And you can say to that person, hey, listen, you know, I talk about this when it comes to, to what I call vegan allies. Many people who are, you know, not eating animals who are who are vegan are in relationships with people who are not vegan and who don't really understand much about veganism at all. And what they do understand is often like, you know, negative stereotypes, and that can cause some pretty difficult problems in relationships. And so, you know, I suggest inviting this other person and saying to them, listen, I'd love to share information about this topic with you, not to change who you are, not even to change how, you know, you live your own life, but to help you understand me to help you understand what the world looks like through my eyes. So you can know what brings me joy. You know, you can know what breaks my heart. You can know what I'm so sensitive about. This will help you, you know, otherwise you'll probably do things that will offend me, even though you don't want to or mean to do those things. And this way you really understand me. And that's a great way to invite somebody to be an ally is to to, to say that you want to share some aspect of your life, your world with them in order to help them better understand you. And you can say, you know, and also so that I can feel more connected with you. I would say that there is a caveat. It's not, I think, appropriate or healthy to request allyship from somebody who would be feel that it would violate their integrity to be an ally. And by that, I mean something like, you know, going back to the vegan, non-vegan difference. If there's a vegan who's in a relationship with somebody who say is a hunter and that hunter says, I really want you to see the world through my eyes and understand why this is so important for me and sharing stories about killing animals and killing animals is like deeply distressing to the vegan and dysregulating for them, triggering to them and violates their integrity, then that's, that's not the kind of allyship that can be um, you know, obviously can be cultivated, but many, 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 many differences can be bridged, you know, by people being willing to be allies to each other, to see each other's inner world and respect each other for their inner worlds. Excellent. Um, so to finish out, I like how you begin the conclusion of ending injustice everywhere. You write Martin Luther King Jr. famously said that injustice anywhere threatens justice everywhere. This statement makes intuitive sense. And when we understand the contagious nature of unjust, non-relational behaviors, we can genuinely appreciate how injustice reproduces itself, no matter where it shows up or from whom it's directed. That injustice breeds injustice is why it's so important that those of us who want to create a better world recognize the non-relational common denominator driving all injustices. Every time we choose integrity over indignation, compassion over contempt, dignity over defensiveness, every time we avert an unjust dynamic and practice a just one instead, we're interrupting the process of non-relational dysfunction that's at the root of so much suffering and harm, and we're redirecting that process toward healing. Thanks, Melanie, for just inviting us into this conversation and all the work that you're doing around the world. And I suggest um, everyone go to carnism.org and also purchase your book because we really, truly can end injustice everywhere by understanding the psychology behind it. 
Yeah. Thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. And um, I just appreciate so much your 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 compassion and your relatability. And thank you for helping to raise awareness. It's so important. Thanks so much, Melanie, for your kind words and wonderful conversation. I feel you're very relational too. All right. So now that we've got that established, go out, practice integrity, honor everyone's dignity, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Do you want to expand your leadership skills and become more resilient and competent as a business owner? Do you want to bring more meaning to your relationships and more purpose to your business? Are you ready to take charge of how you innovate, create, and run your business? Our dual innovation leadership process will help you redefine how you lead as you redesign your business. We collaborate with you to do what will work for you as you evolve and change. We start with where you are, whether you are turning around a financial crisis, growing to the next level, or somewhere in between. We address your immediate needs, shore up business development gaps, expand relational literacy, and build upon your entrepreneurial leadership skill sets with this short-term results orientation and a long-term perspective. Start by subscribing to this podcast at WeMentor.com or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you are ready to hire a mentor, contact me at Nancy at WeMentor.com. When we mentor, you create better life and a more fulfilling future as an entrepreneurial leader slash innovator, as a competent business owner slash practitioner, as a mentor slash role model, and as a human being courageously living a meaningful life. As Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Get involved today. It's never too late to change your life and how you lead.